Can you dream of a world immune to cancer? Hello everyone, my name is Nick and I'm the host of the annual live stream for The Cure where content creators and podcasters from around the world join me to raise money for the Cancer Research Institute and Immunotherapy Research, which is training the body's immune system to fight against all forms of cancer. Over the past seven years, thanks to the power of indie podcasters and the indie podcasting community and listeners just like you listening to this right now, we have raised over $90,000. And as I record this now, the eighth annual live stream for The Cure is barreling down upon us really, really quickly in just about two weeks. So join us, please, from May 29th through June 1st for 48 hours of amazing content from people all over the world and help us fight for a world immune to cancer. And I'll return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Thank you so, so much. And together, we can make a difference. All right, let me get this straight, okay? You want me to go to the graveyard with you because I'm the chosen one and there are vampires? Yes. Does Elvis talk to you? In a world overflowing with movies, we need a hero. Someone to separate the bad from the good. Hi everyone, I'm Em and welcome to Verbal Diorama, episode 122, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. This is the podcast that's all about the history and legacy of movies you know and movies you don't. And welcome to this spookshul bonus episode for Halloween. Oh, the puns are bad. This episode was not scheduled. It was a bit of a late addition to the October roster and I chose not to announce it in the run-up to Halloween not only as a surprise for Halloween, but also on the off chance that I couldn't quite do it. This is the sixth episode of the podcast that I've put out this October. So, I mean, never let it be said that I'm a bit of a slacker. But I didn't want to tell anyone that it was coming because, to be honest, I don't like to let people down. I don't mind letting myself down, but I don't like letting other people down. And also, if I had a watcher, I wouldn't want to let him or her down. But since this movie is not canonical to Buffy, I'm happy to let down Merrick. I just wouldn't want to ever let down Giles. You'd have to be a fan of the TV show to understand that. So this episode is going to be a little bit different. There's going to be no listener comments because none of you knew it was coming. It's also probably going to be a bit shorter than normal. But hopefully it's still going to be as enjoyable and informative as ever. And, you know, it's Halloween, so it's going to be a little bit spookier than normal. Buffy has been so integral to my life for such a long time and I rate the TV show as literally the greatest TV show ever made. So this movie, um, I mean, first of all, I'm not one of these hardcore Buffy zealots who hates and denounces this movie. I actually like it a lot, mostly because it's nothing like the TV show. It's got little bits, little tidbits of stuff that will evolve with the TV show. But this movie shows real promise for so many reasons. And like I say, although it's not canonical 
Um, Joss Whedon has denounced this movie. I really do feel like it is actually well worth your time. Whether you're a fan of the TV show, whether you're not a fan of the TV show, this is actually okay. <laughs> I mean, it's not as good as a TV show, let's be honest, but there are some real promising things in it that will evolve in the TV show. So without further ado, let's have a listen to the trailer for Buffy the Vampire Slayer 1992. I just met this girl named Buffy. I'm Pike. Pike isn't a name, it's a fish. I liked her even though she seemed kind of flaky. But as it turns out- You have been chosen, Buffy. To do what? To stop the vampires. Does Elvis talk to you? And things started getting weird around here. Are we having a nightmare? You threw a knife at my head. And you caught it. She was the one person I could really count on. Kill him a lot. Hi. Hi. What are you doing here? What am I doing here? I'm saving your butt. That is a bad guy. Can we go, please? The Slayer is unmasked. Let's finish it. I think this relationship has potential. Hi. How's it going? You're obviously having a bad hair day. If she can just get rid of those other guys in her life. Stab him in the heart. Christy Swanson. I am so sure. Donald Sutherland. Ah, ah. Paul Rubens. Ah. With Rutger Hauer and Luke Perry. Buffy. You're not like other girls. Yes, I am. Buffy, the Vampire Slayer. You didn't even break a nail. Directed by Fran Rubel Kazooie. Christy Swanson. I am so sure. Donald Sutherland. Ah, ah. Paul Rubens. Ah. With Rutger Hauer and Luke Perry. Buffy, you're not like other girls. Since the dawn of man, the vampires have walked among us, killing and feeding. The only one with the strength or skill to stop their heinous evil is the Slayer. She who bears the birthmark, the mark of the coven. Trained by the Watcher, one Slayer dies and the next is chosen. In 1992 Los Angeles, the new vampire Slayer is cheerleader Buffy. Three bodies have been found with really gross hickeys on their necks. It takes Merrick the Watcher some time, but he finally convinces Buffy that she is indeed the chosen one. When Merrick is killed by the Master Lothos, she realises how serious the vampire business really is. Things come to a head when vampires crash the senior prom. We will quickly run through the cast of this movie. Christy Swanson as Buffy, Luke Perry as Pike, Rutger Hauer as Lothos, Donald Sutherland as Merrick, Paul Rubens as Amelyn, Hilary Swank as Kimberly. This is Hilary Swank's film debut as well. Paris Vaughan as Nikki. Michelle Abrams as Jennifer, David Arquette as Benny, Stephen Root as Principal Murray, Natasha Gregson-Wagner as Cassandra, plus small roles by Thomas Jane as Zeph, and Academy Award-nominated actress Candy Clark as Buffy's mum. We also have uncredited appearances from the likes of Ben Affleck, Vicky Lake, Seth Green, who'd of course go on to star as Oz in the TV show, and also Alexis Arquette. Buffy the Vampire Slayer was written by Joss Whedon and it was directed by Fran Rubel Kazooie. Also credited on this movie is a particularly famous executive producer. In 1986, Sand Dollar Productions was formed by Dolly Parton, yes, the Dolly Parton, and her former manager Sandy Gallen. 
1991, a young TV writer called Joss Whedon, yes, that Joss Whedon, had a few episodes of Roseanne and Parenthood to his name, but also had the idea for a movie. A movie that subverted all of the horror tropes of the final girl, as well as the blonde girls who always seem to die first. Originally conceived as Rhonda, the immortal waitress, Whedon's idea for a script was to make the hunted the hunter, to have someone who seems completely insignificant actually turn out to be extraordinary. The idea that the girl in the horror movies could fight back was pretty revolutionary in the early 90s, and it's what gave Whedon his, in inverted commas, feminist credentials, I use that term loosely. Whedon wanted a name that sounded insignificant too, which is where Rhonda came in, sorry listeners called Rhonda, but that would eventually become Buffy, a pet name used for Elizabeth, that sounds very much like your typical valley girl. And also the name would be used going forward in Scary Movie to spoof the character Sarah Michelle Gellar plays in I Know What You Did Last Summer. But I'm getting way ahead of myself here because while Sarah Michelle Gellar is now synonymous with the character of Buffy, she isn't part of this story. Whedon wrote his first feature screenplay, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and sold it to Sandollar in 1991. And Sandollar was so integral to the character that they'd continued to be involved from this to the Buffy the Vampire Slayer TV show through to Angel, its spin-off. While Dolly Parton isn't credited, Sandy Gallin and executive Gail Berman are. Whedon's initial script, which is available to read online, was an actual horror movie with comedic elements about an empowered young woman who discovers she is in the current line of slayers, young women who are chosen in every generation to fight the hordes of evil vampires that also plague each generation. But what we got was, well, not really what Whedon envisaged. He saw it as a horror first, then a comedy, but Fox was looking to up the comedy ante. Director Fran Rubel Kazooie was a script supervisor for a decade prior to her indie directorial debut Tokyo Pop in 1988 about an American girl meeting a Japanese boy and forming a pop band together. Tokyo Pop was shown at the 1988 Cannes Film Festival with critics acclaiming the mix of US and Japanese youth culture. It was the success of Tokyo Pop that persuaded Rubel Kazooie to make a movie inside the studio system. She found the Buffy script and took it to Fox, and the production was structured as a hybrid studio independent film, spearheaded by the Kazooies and supported by both studio chairman Joe Roth and president of production Roger Birnbaum to make Buffy the Vampire Slayer how they wanted to make it, with practically zero interference from the studio. Rubel Kazooie decided to work with the same US-Japanese crew from Tokyo Pop, and despite the studio support, her lack of experience meant that she was initially concerned she'd be fired as director. However, both Fran Rubel Kazooie and Kaz Kazooie, her husband, who was a producer on the movie, had purchased the rights for the film. This was a film they both had ownership over, and despite the fear that she could be ousted as director at any time, the fact her husband was producer possibly helped. Fox was very clear on their agenda for Buffy the Vampire Slayer. They wanted it fun, they wanted it funny, and they wanted it PG-13. And, spoiler alert, but that wasn't the tone Joss Whedon originally had in mind. Going from a small-budget indie movie to a higher-budget studio movie was daunting enough for Fran Rubel Kazooie. And then there was the cast. Big names like Donald Sutherland, more on him later, Rutger Hauer and Paul Rubens, along with one of the hottest actors on the planet at that time, Luke Perry. Perry had hit the big time with his role as Dylan in Beverly Hills 90210, and the whole production had to be carefully timed around his filming schedule for 90210 and limited to five weeks. Fran Rubel Kazooie really felt she'd hit the jackpot with such an experienced cast, and, as we'll come to, she treated her cast like the superstars they were, or at least felt like they were. 
When it came to finding Buffy, beautiful blonde Christy Swanson, who'd had bit parts in Pretty in Pink and Ferris Bueller's Day Off, as well as multiple appearances in TV shows like Knott's Landing and Nightingales, heard of the part of Buffy through her friend Luke Perry, who she met through Jason Priestley. Perry had a three-picture deal with Fox at that time and felt that Christy would be perfect for the lead role in a movie he'd just joined, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and recommended her to the production. Swanson went through seven auditions before gaining the part. She had a background in dance and would train with a martial artist for two hours a day for five days for the fight scenes, which Swanson performed herself. She didn't, however, perform the gymnastics. They were done by a professional gymnast. Paul Rubens, who was famous as Pee Wee Herman and had starred in Tim Burton's Pee Wee's Big Adventure in 1986, as well as the TV show Pee Wee's Playhouse from 1986 to 1991, was cast after his arrest for lewd behaviour in Florida. The arrest was widely covered in the media and Pee Wee's Playhouse, although by that time finished, was denied syndication by CBS due to Rubens' arrest. He would plead no contest and had to undertake 75 hours of community service, as well as making two anti-drug public service announcements. Rubens would generally keep a low profile, but took small parts in films in the 90s, including Buffy the Vampire Slayer, in which his character Amy Lynn would die a particularly vocal death, with Rubens improvising the scene. Reportedly, Joan Chen was originally up for the role, but it was reworked as a male vampire rather than a female vampire, and only the name Amy Lynn remained. Rubens's famously long comedic and improvised death scene remains the part of this movie that is almost constantly referenced. Christy Swanson would recall the many February and March night shoots in 1992 and that as the movie was progressing that Joss Whedon was part of the casting process and pretty much always on set which isn't standard practice for the writer of a movie but this was something special to Whedon. Filming in Los Angeles included the ballroom of the Park Plaza Hotel where Merrick lives and trains Buffy, John Marshall High School in Los Feliz and the gymnasium of University High School in West Los Angeles where the high school dance and vampire attack was filmed. There was also filming in MacArthur Park at the merry-go-round and also at Griffith Park. When 20th Century Fox decided to take the movie in a more comedic, less scary way, Whedon's script started to be amended. Merrick, who was originally going to commit suicide after being threatened to be turned into a vampire by Lothos and then as a vampire would then kill Buffy, was thought of being too dark for a PG-13 comedy and so this was changed to him being killed by Lothos. In the TV show, Buffy famously burns down the gym of her last school and this was the plan for the ending of this movie but this was also changed. While Christy Swanson would go on to state she felt no animosity on set between either Whedon and Fran Rubel Kazooie or Whedon and Donald Sutherland, Whedon had issues with both of those people. Fran Rubel Kazooie's vision for Buffy differed to Whedon's and as director she had more clout with the studio than he did. She agreed with Fox's assessment that it should be a light comedy and while Whedon was there almost all the way through shooting, it reached a point where he felt like he had to leave the set mostly due to the onset issues he had with veteran thespian Donald Sutherland, who didn't really want to be there, let's be honest, notably disagreed with his lines, and so he would rewrite them or just improvise them on the day. Fran Rubel Kazooie allowed him to do this, mostly because he was Donald Sutherland, but this infuriated Whedon, who felt like Sutherland was destroying his pet project. This led to creative differences and Whedon leaving the set. Swanson would not recall any such issues with Donald Sutherland and described him as warm and professional and that he would often finish his filming and stay on set to help her with on-camera line reads. 
Swanson would continue to stay good friends after filming with both Luke Perry and Paul Rubens, and after Perry's sudden death, aged just 52, on the 4th of March 2019, she reminisced about how Perry was the cheerleader on Buffy, that he always had her back and was positive and uplifting. And when Rutger Hauer died in July of the same year, most online obituaries mentioned his role in Buffy alongside his most famous role in Blade Runner. Buffy may not be the movie that most millennials will name as their favourite, but it's probably the first memory that they have of Rutger Hauer, myself included. And because of all these issues on the set, and because this movie did not turn out specifically the way Joss Whedon wanted it to turn out, he has since pretty much publicly denounced this movie. To him, this is not a thing that he's particularly proud of. This is not a thing that Donald Sutherland is particularly proud of. But there are little sparks of brilliance in this movie, a lot of which would only come to fruition a bit later on in the story. Because as I'm going to come to, and as most of you know, Buffy the Vampire Slayer never really came into its own until 1997. This movie is a precursor for everything that any Buffy fan knows and loves. I don't know anyone who doesn't love the TV show, although I'm certain there are people out there who don't love the TV show. I'm sure there are people out there who love this movie and have never seen the TV show. And I'm pretty certain that there are people out there who've just watched Buffy the TV show and not watched this movie. Let's move on to the obligatory Keanu reference. So this is a part of the podcast where I try and link the movie that I'm featuring with Keanu Reeves. And like Buffy, I just want to graduate, go to Europe, marry Keanu Reeves and die. She, she says Keanu Reeves, right? Because if she doesn't, I don't understand why. A huge side note, though, I had the biggest crush on Christian Slater in the early 90s, so I completely understand why the character wants to marry Christian Slater. Because 90s Christian Slater, he wasn't 90s Keanu Reeves, but he was 90s Christian Slater. The movie would be exponentially better if she did mention Keanu Reeves instead of Christian Slater, though. But the music... For Buffy, so the soundtrack includes tracks by CNC Music Factory, Divinals, Susanna Hoffs from The Bangles, and Ozzy Osbourne. Other tracks played in the film but not included on the soundtrack include Everybody Hurts by R.E.M., In the Wind by War Babies, and Inner Mind by E.ON. Buffy the Vampire Slayer was released on the 31st of July 1992 in the US, the same week as Death Becomes Her, see episode 59 for more on that one. Buffy also came out while A League of Their Own, which is episode 43, was still riding high in the box office after six weeks. In fact, Buffy hit number five in the charts in its first week, and that was one spot lower than A League of Their Own. Death Becomes Her was number one that week. Buffy the Vampire Slayer would drop to 10th place in its second week. And this was a movie that was made on a very, very modest budget. It was made for $7 million, and it grossed to $16.6 million, which meant the movie actually made money. And this is despite the public consensus that this movie was a flop. It wasn't a critical success. Critics denounced its poor plotting and direction, but praised the game performance of Christy Swanson. And this is a movie that would also make a killing, excuse the pun, in the DVD market as well. And as I mentioned, five years later, Sam Dollar Productions executive Gail Berman would create the TV show. This was done with the association of Joss Whedon. The TV show ran for seven seasons. Fran Rubel Kazooie and Kaz Kazooie had no involvement in the series at all, but due to them owning the rights and financing the film, they were given executive producer credits for all episodes of both Buffy and its spin-off Angel. The TV show would retcon the events of the movie, including the 
period cramps Buffy feels when a vampire is nearby, the fact that she's a senior in the movie but a sophomore in the show, the burning of the school gym, the look and death of the vampires, her disinterested parents become her loving mother Joyce, uh, and also the life and the mission of the Watcher also changes. In 1999, Dark Horse Comics released a graphic novel adaptation of Whedon's original script under the title The Origin, written by Christopher Golden and Dan Brereton. While the movie is not considered canonical, Whedon would go on to state that the Origin comic, though I have issues with it, can be pretty much accepted as canonical. They did a cool job of combining the movie script with the series, that was nice, and using the series Merrick and not a certain other thespian who shall remain hated. And... Even now, it appears that Joss Whedon still has beef with Donald Sutherland because of this movie. In 2009, The Hollywood Reporter reported that Roy Lee and Doug Davison of Vertigo Entertainment were working with Fran Rubel Kazooie and Kaz Kazooie on a re-envisioning of the Buffy film for the big screen. The film would not be a sequel or prequel to the existing film or television franchise and Joss Whedon would have no involvement in the project. On November 22nd, 2010, The Hollywood Reporter confirmed that Warner Brothers had picked up the movie rights to the remake after Fran Rubel Kazooie and Kaz Kazooie sold their interest to Warner. The idea of the remake caused wrath among fans of the TV show since Joss Whedon was not going to be involved. The project did not have any connection with the show and would not conform to the continuity maintained within any of the Buffy the Vampire Slayer comic book titles. In December 2011, more than a year after the official reboot announcement, the Los Angeles Times reported that Whit Anderson, the writer picked for the new Buffy movie, had had her script rejected by the producers and that a new writer was being sought. July 2018, Joss Whedon announced at San Diego Comic-Con that he was working on a reboot slash sequel to the series and that it might feature a slayer of colour. Due to the allegations made against Whedon by several cast members, including Charisma Carpenter and Ray Fisher of alleged abuse and harassment on all sorts of sets, including on Buffy and also on Justice League. As of 2021, the reboot reportedly will no longer involve Joss Whedon. And I've mentioned Joss Whedon before on this podcast because, quite frankly, he's a guy who, again, like Buffy, has been so integral to my life. I have always been a fan of this particular man and the fandom that I have for him started with Buffy. So I've seen a lot of his stuff and I've covered a lot of his stuff on the podcast. It's a bit hard to not talk about the stuff that I've enjoyed watching over the years without mentioning Joss Whedon. But as I always like to say, whenever I cover something on this podcast, it's always to kind of celebrate the work as a whole and not just the work of one or two people who might work on it. I think as things have come out about Joss Whedon, that we know that he will bully people on sets, he will harass people on sets. And that's obviously come with a certain level of power that he's achieved over the years. Looking back at a project like Buffy the Vampire Slayer in 1992, maybe he was a little bit above his station at the time. And maybe he saw Fran Rubel Kazooie, who was directing this movie, and maybe he thought that she wasn't good enough for this material. It's all speculation, really, as to why he really hates this movie. He obviously wasn't happy with the direction it was taking. He wasn't happy that his work was being changed. And he certainly wasn't happy that someone like Donald Sutherland was willing to change it. And arguably, Donald Sutherland is not the best performance in this movie. He's kind of phoning it in a little bit in all honesty. But, you know, he was one of the biggest names in this production. And because he was one of the biggest names in this production, and because the director allowed him to do it, he just did it. 
And obviously Joss Whedon still has beef with that. <laughs> Serious beef. We will know that the apocalypse is happening when Joss Whedon announces that he's working with Donald Sutherland again. Buffy the Vampire Slayer is a film that really feels like it has no real stakes. Excuse the very obvious pun. The performances in this movie are decent at best and wildly inconsistent at worst. Donald Sutherland provides this kind of necessary gravitas, but his performance is almost laconic compared to the valley girl speak um, and dull compared to the bright, colourful palette. The tonal shifts between horror, even though it's fairly mild, and comedy are incredibly jarring. The editing is incredibly jarring. And when you talk about someone like Paul Rubens, compare him to Rutger Hauer, neither character actually feels like they're in the same movie. Buffy herself is a well-conceived character with an effective arc, although does kind of benefit from knowing where the character is actually going to end up. And while Swanson's Buffy definitely seems to grow as the movie progresses, it actually doesn't really feel like her progression costs her anything. Except maybe the friendship of the school Mean Girls, who are straight out of Heathers, by the way. Compare Buffy to Clueless's Cher... And you can see the glaringly obvious issues with the character of Buffy and the stereotypes of wealthy, popular white girls that you struggle to empathise with. And that Amy Heckerling managed to give Cher a complete character arc and the ability to empathise with her is, quite frankly, still a miracle. Obviously, this movie predates Clueless. But again, one of the reasons why Clueless is such a fantastic movie in that in that really short runtime, you get to know these characters, you empathise with these characters, you like these characters. You don't really like anyone <laughs> in this movie apart from Buffy herself. And even though Christy Swanson is really trying her hardest, it feels like she is in a very different movie <laughs> to everyone else. And Merrick's death kind of comes out of nowhere, really, in this movie. But it also actually means nothing. It has zero emotional resonance because we don't really care about Merrick, to be perfectly honest. There is a better Buffy than this one, spoiler alert, but the TV show is superior in every conceivable way. Firstly, that Joss Whedon clearly relished the opportunity to make his Buffy his way, and that show would come to define television going forward. However, it does feel slightly unfair to compare a sub-90 minute movie version of a character to a character who has seven seasons of TV. But that is really the lasting legacy of this movie. You can't say this movie defined anything other than without it, we'd not have the TV show. You could argue that Whedon probably could have made the TV show anyway, but without the power of hindsight, we don't know what his trajectory in Hollywood would have been without this movie. This movie gave him writing work on Speed, Twister, Toy Story. He may not like this movie, but it gave him the leg up in Hollywood that he actually really needed. This movie is worth more to Joss Whedon than he would care to give it credit for. I feel like he needs to put his big boy pants on and get over this movie and get over the fact that he doesn't like it. Because this movie has, as I said, some real sparks of brilliance in it. This is a movie from the early 90s. It had a young female protagonist fighting vampires. It had a male sidekick who's actually a bit helpless at times. And I'm not just talking about Pike. I'm also talking about Merrick as well. <laughs> Watch some of the scenes where Donald Sutherland is attacked by vampires and the character does not have a clue. So the fact that Buffy was a strong female character, she wasn't waiting around for the men to fix the problems. This wasn't something that happened very often in the 90s. This Buffy might be cartoony. It's vampires less than dangerous and more goofy. 
And the message in this movie is fairly simple, but at its core, it's actually quite refreshing and a bit different to everything else that was out at the time. Buffy saved the world a lot, and it started with this movie. Thank you for listening. As always, I would love to hear your thoughts on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, especially the TV show, but also this movie, because I feel like this movie is kind of a bit forgotten now, because the TV show is so much better. But this movie is actually really deserving of your time too. If you did enjoy this episode, if you could take a moment to leave a rating or review or tell your friends and family about this podcast, that would be amazing. And if you like this episode in particular, you might also like the following episodes that I've put out on Halloween. Last year it was episode 66, Tales from the Crypt Demon Knight, which is also about a woman saving the world, also a black woman as well. It's incredibly camp, incredibly funny, incredibly spooky. Again, such an underrated gem. Or the previous one. So from 2019, I actually did an episode on an episode of the Buffy TV show. So episode 22 of the podcast is on the episode Hush, which is season four, episode 10. Such a wonderfully brilliant, spooky episode of the show. The next episode of the podcast, I'm going to be doing an episode on Goldeneye, which is Piers Brosnan's debut as James Bond. And that was an episode that people actually asked for. So uh, this is my first delve into Bond. And I'm really excited to talk about Bond. So please come back for that in a few days time. I'm not going to go through all the kind of rest of the things that I normally go through at the end of episodes, but I do just want to say, as always, a huge thank you to the patrons of this podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you have an amazing Halloween. I hope it's full of spectacular, irresistible parties and fun and trick-or-treating and all of that cool stuff. And finally... Ready? Okay. How funky is your chicken? How funky is your chicken? Loose is your goose. Our goose is totally loose. So come on, all you hot